So our topic this week, out of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, technically, but in a lot of ways I think it should have been part of chapter 1. So Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, which says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because he rested from all his work which God had created and made. All right, so it starts with thus. Well, thus doesn't start a sentence, right? Thus is a connection, right? So, uh, of course, when Moses wrote uh, Genesis, he didn't put the chapter divisions in there. So someone later on put the chapters in there. And I think the seventh day certainly should have been part of the other six days of the creation week. So I think we should technically still be in chapter one, but nonetheless. Um, so thus the heaven and earth, they were finished. And on that seventh day, God ended his work, right? specifically the seventh day. Now, he could have just ended it on the sixth day when he finished the work of creation and then taken off the first day of the next week, right? Or he wanted to, he could have taken off the whole second week, right? We could have a six-day week and take a whole other week off or a month off if he wanted, right? You know, but he took off a day and thus he created the seventh day as a day, even though no mention of anything actually being created, other than time. He created that time spot for communion with his newly created humans. It goes on and says, on the seventh day he finished his work, which he had done, and he rested. Twice it says that. So God himself rested. Was he tired? All that work of six days, right? He was really worn out. But not just that he wants us to rest. It says that he also took time to rest. Now, I'd imagine, I don't know, I've never done his job, but I'd imagine he's pretty busy, right? You know, he's got a whole entire universe. I mean, there's more out there than just this one little tiny world, right? In our solar system, he's got a whole expanse of angels and no doubt other created beings out there that uh, he took a break from. And he rested a whole day, a whole 24 hours to spend with Adam and Eve. That's beautiful. It doesn't just say that he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day and the animals and stuff, and that they rested on the seventh day. It says he rested, that God himself rested as our example. That he rested, and it specifically says three different times on the seventh day, the seventh day. It's a specific, very specific which day it was. Again, it wasn't the first day of the second week. It was the seventh day. And of that seventh day, it says that it, he blessed it and he made it holy. That is the only day in all the Bible that's mentioned. We got uh, holy days, Right? We got Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and Passover. But this is the only day that God specifically says that he blessed and made holy. Thus, it really is the holiest day of God's calendar, of God's week, of God's year. It's a specific day. It's a special day that he blessed. He didn't bless any other day that way. He didn't make any other day in the year or within that seven-day week. This is the day that he made blessed and holy. That he created and he made it specifically for us. And then the Ten Commandments. And when we think about the Genesis, really, the Genesis, these first three chapters, right? If, if, if you're studying or someone's studying to be a mathematician or whatever, work in mathematics in some way, shape, or form, an engineer or something, needs to know uh, math pretty well, what do you think is most important, the most important for them to know? How to add or how to do uh, calculus formulas? What would you say would be most, both are, both are obviously important, but what would you say would be more important? Adding, yeah, right? Because if you can't add, you wouldn't be able to do algebra. You couldn't do x plus y equals z, right? If he doesn't even know how to add one plus one equals two, right? So adding is the foundation if he doesn't get that, there's no way he's going to make it through multiplication and anywhere else, right? If he doesn't know how to add, 
Forget it, right? You need to learn that first, get that down and get that down well, because everything is based on that and builds on that. Well, it's the same with the Bible. If we don't understand these first three chapters, these are such crucial chapters. There are people who try and study Revelation and they don't even look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. They don't even read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. They don't even believe Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are real. And yet they're going to try and understand Revelation or any other part of the Bible when they don't even have the foundation. Again, it's like skipping the first three grades of school and then trying to go to college. Right? We've got to get these chapters down. So in some ways, these are the most important words in the whole Bible. In addition to the next words we're going to read. Written with God's own finger on stone. That makes it pretty important, right? What would be more important? Something that someone wrote with their own finger on stone or something that they hired someone else to do uh, on paper, right? Yeah, so the Ten Commandments, written with God, among the only words in the Bible that God wrote himself. And he wrote it in stone. The other time, one of the only time, he also wrote in stone. Anyone know where that is? A little trivia here, we're off on a little tangent. But what other part in the Bible did God specifically write himself with his finger and also on stone? In the book of Daniel. That's right, Daniel. That's right. That's the only other place in the book of Daniel. And it was a judgment. Right? So God's commandments and his judgment he takes for himself. And he doesn't trust that to anyone else to write. And so the Ten Commandments. And the Fourth Commandment in particular says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So he tells us to remember Maybe because he knew so many people were going to forget it. And he wanted us to remember. He says, remember that day. He doesn't say remember on any of the other Ten Commandments. This one he says, remember. He doesn't say remember on any of the other days. This day he says to remember the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And that's what Shabbat means. It means rest. The word rest is translated Shabbat. So when we say Shabbat Shalom, it means have a restful, peaceful day, right? They have a day of rest and peace. Rest in God's love. Have peace in his love on this special day that he blessed and that he made holy and that he set aside. And it says here in this Ten Commandments in Genesis chapter, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. It's his day. It's his Sabbath. It's not man's Sabbath. It's not the Jewish people's Sabbath. It's God's Sabbath. That's what it says. It's his Sabbath. Then just for mankind, it's his day as well. And that's why he rested in it and shared it with us. And in sharing it with Adam and Eve, he shared it with all of humanity, not just any particular people group, but all of humanity. Adam and Eve, the parents of mankind, everybody. He gave it to us there and shared it with us there in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world and gave it to all of humanity. And again, here he's emphasizing again that it's his day, reiterating it, that it's his day. And which day? The seventh day. And the commandments of it says the seventh day. Not any seventh day. Not any one in seventh day, seven days. I've heard some people say, well, any day. Any day will be fine. You know, one in seven. As long as it's one in seven, it's fine. You can make it up. It works good with your boss and your schedule. Wednesday could be fine. Any day. No, it says the seventh day day. Very specific. That is the day that he blessed, that he made holy. And that is the day, the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. It is the day of rest, according to the Ten Commandments and according to the very beginning of the Bible. It also says here in this verse 9, it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now some people say they rest in God every day. Well, if you're resting every day, you're not obedient you're lazy. <laughs> he tells us to work six days. So it's just as important to work six days to obey the Sabbath commandment, to be working six days, as it is to be resting on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, God's day of rest. It's also the longest commandment of the Ten Commandments. And it continues in verse 10. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who was in your gates. Right? So not just for the individual, but 
to share it and let others experience it, let others enter into that rest as well. Again, God plans it for everybody to enjoy, a blessing for everyone, plenty of blessing to go around, a blessed day that he has given and he rested in it. It's his day, but sharing it with us. So you don't have to work that day. You know, people look at that as a burden. Oh my, that's works. Oh God, it's not works. It's not work. <laughs> Everyone say, oh, you're trying to work. It's not trying to work. It's trying to rest. And they're trying to enter into his peace to rest in him. I mean, if you went into work one day and your boss said, look, take the day off. Paid vacation, go take the day off. What would you say? No, that's not fair. I don't want to do that. Right? Say, oh, thank you. That's nice. Oh, what a burden. The boy, you go home. All oh, the burden the boss put on me today made me go home. Don't want to take a day off, right? People look at it as a burden. It's a great thing. It's a blessing that God gave to us to enter into and to enjoy this day of rest with him. And then it continues, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. The Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. What does that sound like? What does that sound familiar to? Do I need to go back? Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. On the seventh day, the Lord rested from all the work he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because in it he rested from all the work which he had created and made. Right? It's almost word for word right there from Genesis chapter 2 to Exodus chapter 20. Almost word for word. He's taking right out. He's talking about creation, that he made it. He's referring back to creation. It's not something he made up 2,000 years later when he was visiting on Mount Sinai. He's referring back to creation, that he made it back then, that he created things back then. So again, God considered creation as, as written in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 as an actual factual event. And he refers to it throughout the Bible that way. In Exodus chapter 31 that we just uh, sang together uh, and many places in the Bible, that he made it holy and that he blessed it. So two different times, Genesis and now here, written in stone, his finger, he says this is the day, the seventh day, that he blessed and that he made holy. Now the first portion of chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 11 here, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea and all that is in them. I'd like you to just store that somewhere in your brain. Not in the temporal load. We want to keep it there for a while. So temporal, store it somewhere in the permanent part of the brain, or a little bit at least, and we'll come back to that a little bit later on. But here is the day in God's Ten Commandments that he says he blessed, he rested. So again, he, it says he rested in Genesis, and here again it says he rested, as well as that he wants us to rest with him. Together, that we get to rest with him. And that he blessed it, and that he made it holy. Now these are some, just a few languages here, listed here, such as Greek, Spanish, right, Sabado, that use the word for their seventh day of the week, where in English we call Saturday, after Saturn. I don't know why the English decided to name it after planets, the days of the week, but uh, and Saturday after Saturn, but all these others, Greek, Spanish, Portuguese, uh, Italian, right? Sabado, all these different versions, which mean Sabbath. It means rest. Within their language, it means rest. Entering into that rest, that seventh day. It's referred to by the very day. So how could they possibly miss this, right? In Hebrew, obviously, that is how it is. But even all these others, right? Hindu, Hindi, right? Arabic, right? So not even areas necessarily where the Bible specifically went to. They've still adopted this word that really only comes out of the Bible. It's the only place where we have a reason for it. We have reason for the month and reason for the year and, 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 and the circle, the Earth's rotation and the Earth's circle and the Moon's circle and, and the Earth around the Sun. We have the different uh, seasons and the different months and different years because of that. And the day... But the only reason we have a seven-day seven week is because of the Bible. That's it. There's no terrestrial reason 
for a seven-day week. Yet all the world, whole nations of the world, operate on a seven-day week. And 140 countries, 140 languages anyway, 140 languages use the word Sabbath to describe their seventh day. Now there was a time where the French, after the French Revolution, they wanted to go, I guess, metric, and they said, we're going to have a 10-day week. And they tried that for a while, and it didn't work. Even though they outlawed God and outlawed the Bible, they weren't, but it didn't work because our natural cycle, our body cycle, is on a seven-day cycle. And people were getting depressed, and it just was not working out mentally, and, and, um, and so they went back to a seven-day, and France has a seven-day week. Because the only reason, really, is because it initiated out of the Bible, out of God's Word going forth. So 140 languages, too bad it's not in English that way, 140 languages, and they say, what we call Saturday, the seventh day, they say, a word that means Sabbath. And then here's a little interesting thing. In, in English of the word Sabbath, you look at the center of it, it works well in English or in the Hebrew transliteration, not so great in the Hebrew itself, but in Greek, it works perfectly. Do you see the word that's right in the middle of the word Sabbath? Abba. Abba is right there in the middle of the word for the Greek. And so, which day is the real Father's Day? God's Shabbat is the day that is his. It is the day that he created. It is his day. And Yeshua himself, Matthew chapter 12, verse 8 says, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's Lord of it. How would he do away with something he's Lord over? How could you imagine a king and say, I'm going to do away with my country. <laughs> I'm going to give away the country, right? I'm not going to be Lord anymore. I'm going to give over the crown. He says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. That's not something he's going to change or give up or give away. It's his. It's his day. It's his Sabbath day. And he's the Lord over it. So he blessed it. He made it holy. And he is, reigns over it. He is the Lord over it. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God didn't create the Sabbath and say, well, I need to find someone who has to rest on this day, and so I'm going to create man so that I have someone who has to rest on this day. He created man. He said, I want man to have this wonderful gift. I'm going to create this for the first full day of life is to take a break, to enter into his rest. And there's a lot of spiritual significance with that as well. When we first enter into his rest, enter into his love, and then he puts us to work the, the next week. But uh, Adam and Eve, their first full day a marriage, a wedding gift that they had, their honeymoon, was a Shabbat rest with God. So the Sabbath was made for mankind. So the, one definition of a, of a Jewish grandmother, at least in my day, was uh, she knits you two sweaters. Right? And she tells you, she's giving you the sweaters, oh, this was so difficult for me to knit for you, or my glaucoma, it was hard to see, and it's so dark in the house since you haven't come by to change the light bulb yet, and my, <laughs> and my arthritis, it hurts so bad, but I wanted you to have these sweaters, and she gives you the sweaters. So the next day, you want to show her how much you appreciate it, so you wear one of the sweaters, and even though it's 90 degrees outside in Florida, and it's even hotter in her house, and you go in the house, and you're wearing one of the sweaters, and she takes one look at you, and she says, what's the matter? Don't you like the other one? <laughs> so anyway, I tell that, because what would, what would it be? What would it be saying if I took those sweaters, and I said, oh, thank you very much, and I went home, and I threw it in the garbage? What would, I be, what would that be saying? I don't appreciate what? You, right. And not only I don't appreciate the sweaters, I don't appreciate grandma. Right? And so God has given us this great gift. He said he created the Sabbath specifically for us. He spent a whole 24 hours carving it out, blessing it, and making it holy, and then gifting it to humanity. Well, yeah, I don't want it. I'd rather go make a few dollars. I'd rather go do this. I've got to work on my car. I've got to do something. And, and don't really care. Or we change it out and make it, well, I, I prefer Wednesday instead. That works better for me. Right? Who's really the Lord then if we're doing that? 
we're choosing our own Sabbath day, right? We, we become our Lord, right? We become our own God. We've made ourselves God in place of him. Instead of letting him be Lord, instead of letting him choose, instead of letting him direct, we're trying to make things according to our pattern, what works out for us, putting self first and not God first. And a big aspect of it, of the whole Sabbath, is a trust issue. Like the tree in the Garden of Eden. He's given it to us as a gift, as a blessing to us, and again, also kind of as a, do we trust him? Do we trust that he's able to provide for our needs, even if we only work six days instead of seven days? Will he make that six days of earnings spread out as long as the seven days and even more so? Kind of like the tithe principle. Do we trust him with that? Are we willing to lay down the concerns and the worries and the cares and just trust him for a day and spend that time with him? Set it aside for him. Right? Just like, you know, if someone wanted to spend time with, you know, let's say you're, you're dating someone and you tell them you love them and you want to marry them, and then they say, oh, really, can we get together on such a... No, I'm pretty busy. I gotta, there's a game on that night, you know? <laughs> What's more important, right? And so God says, this is important. I want to spend this time with you. He says that he loves us and he wants us to be with him. He wants us to enter into it. And there's no other day that can do it the same because that's the day he blessed and made holy. Can't explain that. It's a spiritual thing. But that's the day that he put his stamp upon and given it to us. He lived it out himself when he came to this earth. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he rested there in creation at the beginning, and then 4,000 years or so later, and he came to this earth in the form of a man, he also continued to rest on the Sabbath day. Matthew 24, verse 20, talking about last day events, prophesying. He said, pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, he was predicting a time when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, a dual prophecy, when the Romans were going to come in and flee and pray that your flight not be in the winter or in the Sabbath day, but also for last days, a lot of parallels to last day events. And he said, pray that your flight would not be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Now, if he wasn't expecting people to be continuing to keep the Sabbath after his death, burial, and resurrection, why would he tell them to pray that your flight's not going to be on in the winter or on the Sabbath day? Right? He expected that even after his death and burial and resurrection, that his people, his followers, would continue to keep the Sabbath day, and thus he wouldn't want them to have to flee on that day. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 53, in his death as well, so in his life he kept the Shabbat, told us to continue it after his life here on earth, and then in his death as well. Luke 23, verse 53. They took down his body, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation day, and the Sabbath drew near. The women returned home and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And in chapter 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. So as the preparation day came on, Yeshua was killed on that Friday, coming close towards, as the Sabbath was coming near, Sabbath was drawing near, he died, his body was taken down, laid in a tomb, and then the women, his mother, and his, those following him, they went home and they began to spare, prepare the spices to anoint his body for, their, for his burial. But the Sabbath came, the sun went down, and so they ceased it, and then they rested on the Sabbath day. They didn't go and have a funeral service for him. They didn't go and prepare his body. They didn't bring the spices on the Sabbath day. They had them ready, but they didn't have time to go and anoint his body with it. So they waited 24 hours. So his disciples, after his death, kept the Shabbat, waiting for the first day of the week. And it says the first day of the week. And they went on that first day, right? So we know which is the first day. We know it from creation. 
We know it 2,000 years later, the Ten Commandments gives it to us again as a reminder. 2,000 years after that, God reminds us again by giving us a specific event. That he, rest, that he prepared to, for his death, people were preparing for the Sabbath, then he himself rested on the Sabbath in the grave. And they prepared the spices, and then they came on the first day, and he rose on the first day of the week. And then they were able to go with the spices, and that's where Mary sees him, and the other women see, where they don't see him, Mary sees him, and the other women see the empty tomb. So the order there was, Friday was preparation day, Saturday was Sabbath, and then Sunday was the first day of the week. This is the same pattern that we have today. Nothing has changed since that time or since the very beginning of time. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul, as his manner was, he went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So Yeshua, as his custom was, he kept the Shabbat. Paul's custom, as he was, after Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection, he also continued to keep the Shabbat, meeting in the synagogues and going and teaching and worshiping there together on God's holy and blessed day, the Sabbath day. In Acts chapter 13, another experience is several in the book of Acts. We're not going to look at all the texts in the Bible. There's so many, too many for us to look at in one night. Uh, but even in just the book of Acts, there's a bunch. Another time in Acts chapter 13, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them on the next Sabbath. Now, where was Paul when this event took place? Where, I'm sorry, I'm not hearing you. Not in prison. No, he wasn't in prison. He was in the temple, right? He was in, or in the synagogues anyway. He was in the synagogue. Right, so he's in the synagogue. He's in the synagogue, and who's in the synagogue? Jews are in the synagogue, and who else? Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles were worshiping together there in Paul's days. The Jewish people were witnessing to, to the Gentiles and inviting the Gentiles in, and the Gentiles were coming in and worshiping together. They were all there together. And then Paul shows up, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he's sharing with them, and they're hearing the truth of God's word, and they're excited about it. And some of the Gentiles, they besought him and said, teach us more on the next Sabbath. And he said, oh, no, you're Gentiles. You don't have to wait till next Sabbath. Tomorrow's Sunday. We'll meet together tomorrow morning. <laughs> Is that what he said? No. no, it's not what he said. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Paul said, no, I got to keep Shabbat. I got to work for the next six days. I got to build some tents for the next six days. I got to be busy the next six days. Meet me next Sabbath and I will share with you. And the word got out and he had six days of people telling and inviting people. And then the whole city comes out. Jews and Gentiles come out to hear the word of God preached on the Sabbath day. In Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 17, and throughout the book of Acts, throughout history, this was God's plan. And what was done by the disciples. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20, so if you want 2020 vision, this is where you get it. Keep holy my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. All right, so we read at the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Lord. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And so here he's now saying this is the sign that we have accepted him as our Lord as we enter in and join with him in the day that he is Lord over. So as we keep holy, as he blessed and made holy, and as we keep it holy and continue it holy, his Sabbath, again, it's not, it was his Sabbath, it's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So it's my Sabbath, he says, as we keep his Sabbath, they will be a sign. It'll be like a, a label. These are my people. Here's my people. This is a sign on them, identifying them. Sign, like a mark, right? You have a box, you know, it's Peter's box, right? You write Peter on it, right? You can put a sign on it, it says it's Peter's box. Or you can take a marker and write, with a black marker, write Peter's box on it, right? Either way, you're identifying the box and who it belongs to. And so God's sign is God's identification. These are my people. 
You can tell them by what they do. You can tell them by where they are on the seventh day of the week. You can tell them by what they're doing the other six days of the week. You'll be able to identify them by their lifestyles. This will be my sign that you are mine and that I am the Lord your God. It's God's identification. And in contrast to that, the beast has an identification as well. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 4, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. He causes all to worship the first beast. He was granted power and causes as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Seven times in Revelation 13 and 14, the word worship is used. The issue is worship. All right, so Yeshua and the disciples and God, Moses, they came together and worshiped the Lord on the Sabbath day, the day he blessed and made holy. And then the Bible identifies in these chapters seven times, it talks about worship and worshiping the beast. Six of those times, it's in relation to worshiping the beast, and one time, it's in relationship to worshiping God. So here's five times, worship, don't worship the beast, don't worship the dragon. And then chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, I saw an, another angel having the everlasting gospel to preach, saying with a loud voice, fear God and worship him who made the heaven, the earth, and sea, and the springs of water. What does that sound like? What does it sound like? Do I have to go back? Did it already leak out of your brain? I told you to remember. I told you to store it up there. What does it sound like? What's that? The fourth commandment. Almost word for word, right out of the fourth commandment. To that God created, that he made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And here it says, and the springs of water. Right? But almost word for word, right out of the four, the Sabbath commandment, out of the Ten Commandments. And yes, very similar to also in Genesis, very similar to the creation story. But again, almost word for word, several words in a row, right out of the exact match, out of the Sabbath commandment in the Ten Commandments. So obviously a, a reference to that. So to go forth and preach the everlasting gospel, right? it's not an everlasting gospel, right? So if it's everlasting, when did it start? Forever. It goes back to in the beginning, right? It's everlasting. It's God's everlasting gospel, right? Not two gospels, not a gospel for 4,000 years and then a different gospel for 2,000 years. One everlasting gospel. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's got one plan for all of humanity. He loves us all. There's one way of salvation. There's only one way uh, of God's laws. There's only one way God's path is one for all that he has for us. It's an everlasting gospel. So there's these two elements to it. Here this angel is preaching two elements, two important parts. An everlasting gospel and to worship him. And what would be the term that we would use, the title that we would use for who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water? Creator. Right, yeah. It's important that he's our redeemer. It's important that he's our savior, and we have the everlasting gospel for that, right? So those terms are important, which is important work. But he wouldn't have to redeem us, right? We were already deemed ones, and we didn't fall from the beginning. And if we would have kept creation and lived right from creation on, and if we were never created, he wouldn't be able to redeem us, or there wouldn't be anyone to redeem. So in some ways, the birth is more important than what comes after the birth, right? If you don't have the birth, or you don't have the creation. Right? So he created us, that's the first thing, and that's important. So to worship him as creator, and also as redeemer, savior. Right, so the everlasting gospel, two elements. The everlasting gospel and to worship him as the creator who made heaven, earth, and sea and the fountains of water. And then right after this, if anyone worships the beast, verse 9 and 10, 
If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Here's the mark. We saw God's sign. And then here's in contrast to that, the mark of the beast. So the beast identification, God has his identification. The beast has his identification on those who are following him. And it has to do with worship, not barcodes or chemicals shot into your arm or anything else. It has to do with worship. That's the issue. It has to do with your bank account. People might use all those things to try and force and coerce because we just read in chapter 13 of Revelation that he will try and force and they'll all be killed who don't worship him. There'll be a force element to it. But the identification is not those things. The identification has to do with worship. This is God's identification of his people has to do with worship who they're worshiping, when they're worshiping, and how they're worshiping. And so when worships receive the beast, will receive the judgment, the wrath of God. And then right after those verses, right after those words, in chapter two, verse 12, still Revelation 14, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. So two elements, just like in the verses there in 9 through 11, or eight, rather, six and seven. Just like those verses, two elements. The everlasting gospel and to worship him who created the heavens and earth and sea. Right? Words right out of his law, out of his Ten Commandments. And then here in this verse, the commandments of God and faith in Yeshua. Those same two elements. And then right in the middle of those verses was don't worship the beast and receive his mark. And so we have a, a beast sandwich here in between these two things. And so I got it illustrated here. So you got this beast sandwich, you got the, uh, the gospel in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, you got the gospel of the lamb and his law, and you got the verses on the beast and his mark, and then right after that, again, you have the gospel of the lamb, uh, the, uh, Yeshua, and his law, those who keep his commandments and have faith in Yeshua. So right there is the contrast between God's people and those who refuse God. It'll be a worship. It has to do with worship. And it'll be a false worship. It'll be a counterfeit worship. Right? If someone gave you a, an orange $17 bill, you wouldn't believe it was real, right? So the counterfeit worship is going to be very close and very similar. There's a slight modification, right, when the devil took Yeshua in the wilderness and tempted him three times, he was partially quoting the Bible. Right? He wasn't quoting the Koran or something else, right? He was quoting the Bible, he was coming in as if he was on his side. And the last day, we'll get more into that, we've preached more on that in other times, we won't get into more of that tonight. In Isaiah chapter 66, so on to eternity, as the new heavens and the new earth which I, shall, uh, which I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall worship before me, says the Lord. Right, so all flesh, right, so all who come and worship before me, who does that include? Who will that be? In the new heavens and new earth, for all eternity, who will that be? Us, right? People. All people, Jews and Gentiles, everyone, right? In the new heavens and new earth. So from the very beginning in creation, given to Adam and Eve, the Ten Commandments, then on through history, we looked at Ezekiel and Isaiah, and then Yeshua's life and Paul's life, Yeshua's death and burial and resurrection. And then into the last day events. And then on to eternity. God's Sabbath remains as a consistent link all the way through. Hasn't changed, never changed it, never did away with it. It's God's blessing. He gave it to us as a gift. It'd be pretty mean for him to take it away. And he said, the Sabbath was made for mankind. Oh, but I don't, you don't need it anymore. I'm taking it away from you. Right? Can't have that vacation anymore. Can't have those 52 vacation days a week anymore. 
a year anymore. Taking it away. Right? That'd be pretty cruel. That'd be pretty horrible. Now God has blessed us and he has given to it, it to us to make it a blessing for all humanity, for all time. It's eternal from in the beginning to all the way the new heavens and new earth. It's universal, given to mankind, for Jews and Gentiles, for everyone who comes together. In Isaiah 58, verse 13, if you cease to tread the Sabbath underfoot and keep holy my day, free from doing your own affairs, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and will, I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. So again, reference to the new heavens and new earth, the high hills on the earth. If we cease to stop walking over his Sabbath, treading over his Sabbath, stomping on his Sabbath, like stomping on grandma's sweater, stop desecrating it, stop destroying it and ruining it, embrace it and rejoice in it, and make it a delight. And in another week, we don't have time tonight, but another week we're going to talk about how to delight in God's Sabbath, how to make it a delight, how to enjoy it, how to make it a blessing, how to keep it and rejoice in it. And here again, as we've seen over and over again, it says, my holy day. Right? Don't tread the Sabbath day, my holy day. He constantly refers to it as his, it's his day. Not for us to choose or to keep or not to keep, to do or not to do, to change or not to change. It's his holy day. It's his special day that he shares with us. To be a delight and to make it honorable and to enjoy it together. And if we do this, he's to stop it and keep it. We will ride on the high hills. That's a wonderful promise. Because if we're constantly remembering God's Sabbath day, what will we remember? Each week we're remembering the Sabbath day. What will it remind us of? Remind us of him. It reminds us of him in what aspect of him? What role? As our creator. Right? That he's given us all things. That we can be thankful for life. That we can be thankful for trees and food and water. We can be thankful for friends and fellowship. We can be thankful for his great love for us. His care for us. To remind us that he is overall, that he is almighty, that he's able to speak, and it is, that he's all-powerful, that he's able to do all things, and thus our little problems pale in, insignificant. I compare it to, he created the earth in just seven days. He can do all things then. He's almighty, he's all-powerful. And if he's able to create us, he's able to recreate us as well. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and hold fast my covenant, I will bring to my holy mountain and make joyful in my house of prayer, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Right? So everyone, who's everyone? All humanity, right? Everyone, Jews and Gentiles, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. It's his again. It's his covenant, it's his promise, it's his gift to us. And again, as it said in the other chapter, he makes us, brings us to his holy mountain. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise. We get to enter into and make it joyful, a delight, a joy, rejoicing and a blessing, something to look forward to. And then his house of prayer, to come together for worship, to come together and fellowship together. It's a house of prayer for all nations. Right? Again, Jews, Gentiles, everyone, all nations, all the nations, Jews, Goyim, all the whole gamut, everyone together, worshiping together, praising God together, God's blessing to humanity. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. So God has a holy land, Israel, identified in the Bible, and in the center of the holy land, God has a holy city. And in the center of God's holy city, identified in the Bible, Jerusalem, in the center of that holy city was a holy 
temple. In the center of that holy temple was the holy place. And attached with the holy place was the most holy place. And in the center of the most holy place was God's holy ark. And in the center of God's holy ark is his holy law. And in the center of God's holy law is God's holy day, the Sabbath day. He has blessed it. He has made it holy. He rested in it. And he wants us to rest, Shabbat, to rejoice, to be joyful, and to delight in it. And so if you've been burdened with the cares of the week, and you want to truly enter into his rest. Give over the worries, the fears, the anxieties. That's what Sabbath is about. Might have financial stress coming up. Set it aside. Trust in him. You don't have to worry about it for 24 hours. Just leave it with God to take care of. Rest in him. Maybe there's a lot of issues. Maybe you got problems, car broken down, some issue. Trust the Lord. Rest in him. Enter into his rest. Lay your burdens at his feet. He created all things. He loves you with an everlasting love. No good thing will he withhold to them that walk uprightly. And so if you've been stressed and worried about anything, you want to surrender that to the Lord. In a moment when we pray, you can experience entering in to his rest, to his peace. Secondly, if you've been trampling his law. You've been trampling on his Sabbath. Maybe ignorantly, maybe you didn't realize the full extent of it. Maybe you thought it was movable and adjustable. Maybe you didn't think it mattered that much. But now you're seeing it's written with God's finger, written with stone. It's all the way back to the very beginning. God's gift to you. And you want to confess that you've been offending him, hurting him, rejecting his beautiful gift. In a moment when we pray, you can confess that, and you can accept the everlasting gospel. You can accept Yeshua's sacrifice in your behalf, to cleanse you of that, to forgive you of that, to wash you clean of that. And then you can accept his forgiveness, and you can accept the Holy Spirit to give you the power to walk in his ways, to trust him, to lay down your tools, lay down your workload on the Sabbath day and enter into that time with him. And so if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, you can do that. Third, if you want to praise him and thank him, maybe you've been rejoicing in his Sabbath day and maybe you've been embracing it and finding it a delight. And in a moment when we pray, just give him praise, give him thanks. Thank him for this wonderful gift that he has given to us to enjoy 52 breaks every year, to time with him, time with others, fellowshipping together, worshiping him. So in a moment when we pray, you can thank him for that. Maybe you've been rejoicing in God's Sabbath for many years, but maybe it's become a burden. Maybe you've lost that first love experience. Maybe you've lost not accepting the Holy Spirit's power to keep his Sabbath, and you're trying to keep it in your own strength. But through the day, you're worrying about this and thinking about that and wanting to do this and wanting to do that and concerned about the finances, and, and you want to enter back into that rest with him. Allow God to empower you through the Holy Spirit to keep it holy once again. In a moment when we pray, stop doing it in your own strength and do it in God's strength. When we pray, you can surrender that to him and receive again of his Holy Spirit to empower you to enter in fully and completely into his rest once again. Not only physically and bodily and time-wise, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually as well. To enter in and rejoice with him and delight with him in his holy Sabbath day. If you've been trying to manipulate it, change it, adjust it, change it, work it to fit your own schedule, 
Maybe right now you're being pressured by someone or something, some boss or someone who's pressuring you, tempting you to break God's Sabbath day. Turn it over to the Lord. Put God first. Let him be Lord and God of your life. Above your own ways, above anyone else, above any human, above any man, above any power, any government, anything, any boss, and surrender to the Lord and let him be God and let him rule. And maybe you have to make some conversation with some boss or someone in a moment when we pray, ask God to go before you to soften their heart or to open another door for another job for you or to open some way and enter into that prayer and let God move and begin the process so that you can remember his Sabbath day and enter into that rest with him. If any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area God was speaking to your heart and mind about, let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, who has given us all things and ruler over this little tiny planet of earth, ruler over humanity, thank you for your love for us and we surrender to you and allow, want you to be our Lord and our God. We thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us all things. Thank you for giving us all things to sustain life, breath and water, and food and fellowship. Thank you for blessing us and creating this world for us. Thank you for in creating that world, you've also created a break for us, a time of rest for us. Thank you for this gift. Lord, please forgive us and we claim the blood of Yeshua for the times where we've trampled over it, walked over it, not appreciated it, broken it. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you, Yeshua, for dying for us. Thank you for living as our example. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and keep your Sabbath in us and through us. Give us the ability to do it physically and, and also spiritually and mentally and emotionally to fully enter in into the delight and the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Sabbath, and rejoicing with you. And we ask these things in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.